So if you read the story this week, um, we were in chapter three and uh, it was it was about Joseph. And maybe for the first time you looked at the whole story of Joseph and thought "Ah, he sort of deserved it. Do you remember how it all starts with Joseph? He's bragging about a dream he had. Like if you have a dream that paints you as a king, you should probably just keep it to thyself. And if you have a dream where you're the king and all your brothers are bowing down to you and you hey guys, guess what? But when you're 17 year old, 17 years old, you don't have a filter. Maybe you've been through something pretty painful or uh, pretty difficult. And you your only thought really is, when is this going to be over? Now, that may be something serious or maybe something small, like listening to a child tell a story. No one else feel that? I'm just the only evil person. If they, if they get to get distracted during the story, why shouldn't I? Or maybe it's a, some medical problem. Or I remember when I was, when I was in high school, I had, um, I had plantar fasciitis. I don't know what, I don't, can't pronounce it very well. But basically, it's a really fancy way of saying you had warts on the bottom of your feet. They go in instead of out. Um, it's like when you go to the doctor and you're like, this is hurting. And they're like, you're gross. Oh, okay, thanks. Well, the doctor said, well, we're going to laser them off. And I said, okay, cool. And he said, uh, but we got to give you four shots on the bottom of your foot before we do that. And my doctor, uh, I forget his name, the doctor in the queen, he goes, and Benjamin, this is going to be the worst pain you ever feel in your whole entire life. What happened to pressure? What happened to like, okay, you're going to feel it a little. He said, I'm just telling you, it's going to be the worst. And I'm going to do it four times. And if you move, we have to start over. It was the longest like 30 seconds of my life. He had me lay face down on a table. I was going to demonstrate it for you here on the community table, but there's stuff there, so I won't. And any of you get up to remove it. I could just see Jamie getting up and getting into all this. Had me lay down and he had me grip it. And he just said, just hold on. 30 seconds. I drenched that table in what we think is sweat for. <laughs> so I just drenched it. Like, cause, but just 30 seconds. It felt like a lifetime. It felt like, felt for, like it just would never end. And, and some, some little small moments can happen like that. And maybe bro- Joseph's brothers were sitting there in, the, uh, in this, sitting around a fire and listening to this 17-year-old tell them about how he's going to be king. And then I had another dream. I'm like, oh, good night. Because some of these, some of these brothers are, are in their late 20s, early 30s, maybe late 30s. Like the... Joseph is the 11th child from the fourth woman, which, you know, it's a bad idea. And he, he's the 11th child, so these guys are much older than him. He's 17 years old, and they're having to listen to this little twerp tell them about how he's going to rule 
them. Well, one day, his father gives him a coat of many colors, um, and they write a play about it. And the coat, the coat signifies his love for Joseph. Joseph is by far his dad's favorite. Jacob loves Joseph intentionally more than everybody else. And it's not really because Joseph's fantastic. It's because Jacob loves Rachel. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel. And he got tricked in to marrying Leah, who the Bible says has weak eyes. We don't know what that means, but that's its describer. He liked Rachel more than Leah because Leah had weak eyes. Rachel was the beautiful one, and he wanted to marry her. And then she couldn't have kids. And then when she finally did, it was, it was having a child with the love of your life instead of these other women you have kids with. And he loved this child more than any other child. And so the other brothers hated him all the more. Well, he's walking out to check on them. His father sends him out to check on them because he knows Joseph will tattle on them if they're not doing what they're supposed to. So uh, Joseph shows up to a place where they're supposed to be. They're not there. They're somewhere else. And so he asks around. He finds where they are. And when they see him walking up, they think, oh, oh. Do you have people you think that about? Don't name them out loud. Oh, here they come. And all the brothers, all well, ten of them, say, let's kill him. Maybe one of them said it and the other one said, yes, I'm with you. Now, he had one good brother who says, I, no, I'm not. We're, let's, let's not do that. That would be awful. Um, let's um, put him in a pit and just we'll keep him there. And he planned later to come back and rescue him. Well, before he comes back to rescue him, they see a group of people traveling up. I don't know why they're bouncing. He sees a group of people coming. They, they're coming up. They're riding. They, they sell him into slavery. He's eventually, we see him next. We're introduced to him in, uh, in Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 38 is a really weird story about Judah and Tamar um, that they left out of the children's version of the story. It's, it's, just, it's an odd one. But um, then they pick the story up again and he's in Potiphar's house. Who's Potiphar? Potiphar's a powerful guy in Egypt. And Joseph has been such a good slave that Potiphar uh, has made him in charge of everything. You can have, you're you're in charge of everything in the house. And anything that was under Joseph's control, under Joseph's responsibility, Potiphar didn't worry about. about. It was no big deal. Joseph has that handled. Now, maybe you have some of the people like that at your work. Where you think, I don't have to worry about them at all. If I, give them, if, they, if I give them something to do or somebody gives them something to do, it's taken care of. There are good people and bad people around. We're all good and bad people from time to time. 
But Joseph was responsible. And Joseph, Joseph took care of things. And Joseph was attractive. Imagine, imagine me, but m- more like Jesse. I'm probably the only preacher in the country who did this (laughs) this week. But but he was was a handsome dude and he walked. Potiphar's wife started to notice Joseph. And so she makes several passes at Joseph. And Joseph says no every time. And then one time they're in the house alone and she gets very aggressive, pulls off his cloak and he runs away uh, naked. Can't, couldn't get that word out of my mouth from the pulpit. It's in the Bible. Without his clothes, he's just, he's clothless. How about that? Just runs away. Now she gets mad and so she tells Potiphar, hey Potiphar, he tried to do something that was inappropriate with me. And now I have his coat. And Potiphar, because he's an idiot, believed her. And sends Joseph to prison. Now in prison, it's the same thing. Joseph is responsible and the, the head of the prison gives him responsibilities. And he doesn't have to worry about anything that, um, that Joseph is doing. We know, we know this story by heart, some of you. You know about the, the baker... And the wine taster who are also in prison. And they have crazy dreams. And, and Joseph uh, points at their, interprets their dreams and says, Oh, yes, wine taster, you are going to be restored to your full position. And the baker says, And what about me? He says, You're going to die. <laughs> and it happens. And the, the, the wine taster is so excited. And, he's, and Joseph says, When you get into Pharaoh's house, just remember me. Remember me. Well, wine taster, as wine tasters often do, forgot. That was a joke. It'll sink in in a second. He forgot. He forgot to. He forgot to remember Joseph. He had no. He had no other. Like he had no. Um, <laughs> I'm fighting with both. Oh, not both. No, keep him. I win. <laughs> no, I, he had he had he he didn't remember Joseph. Joseph just sat there and for, and and then Pharaoh had some weird dreams. Cows eating other cows, kind of dream you just sit up from it. That was nuts. It's worrying me. And the cupbearer says, "Oh, oh yeah." Well, there's this guy in prison that. Um, that can understand dreams. So they brought him in. Joseph said, oh, this is, uh, it's not really me that does it. It's God that does it. But I'm going to trust God to give me the perception of the dream. And then he tells him there's going to be seven, seven, seven years of, of a lot of food. Plenty. And then there's going to be a seven-year drought and famine. And I think what we should do is, uh, and this is unsolicited advice from Joseph, but he says, I think what we should do is you should store up during the years of plenty and then we'll have enough food for everybody. He says, perfect. You're in charge. 
So the seven years of plenty go just like they have. The plenty just keeps coming. And everyone keeps saying, man, we have plenty. And then the famine hits and they have plenty in their in their storehouses. And Joseph is in charge. People come to Joseph and they 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 say, well, we need food. And people came from all over the world. And this is, I mean, just a few generations removed from Abraham where or God tells Abraham, you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to everyone else. Now, our minds jump to Jesus as it should. But God has started fulfilling that promise with Joseph. The nations of the world had food because Joseph was wise enough. And so they, these people are coming two years into the famine. Joseph's brothers show up. And Joseph is verklempt. You know, remember that word? He's upset. Emotionally. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming to have... To have been living your life up to this point, being so successful, and then to be reminded of what you were. His brothers show up, and he has to go to the back and cry, and he, has, he sends them back, and they stay as long as they can without coming back, and then they come back with Benjamin, because Jacob didn't want that to happen, but they needed food. Benjamin's the youngest brother, the other child of Rachel. And they, and then he reveals himself to them. There's this moment that it's, it's funny to me. It's all through the story with his brothers, uh, Joseph's weeping constantly, like hard crying, ugly crying. I don't know if you've had a good ugly cry recently, but you just say, don't look at me. And there's this one point where he sends everybody, right before the big reveal, he sends everybody out. Of the room. And then just starts crying. And the Bible says that he does. He, he cries so loud. That the. Uh, that the people outside heard him. And even Pharaoh's house heard about it. Like Joseph's crying really loud. But if you, if you, were, if you look at this story. Through the eyes of the brothers. They don't know this is Joseph. They just know this is a guy who's been really stern with them. Who's been nice and then hard and then uh, like giving and then strict. Like he's, this guy is kind of crazy. They don't know it's Joseph. They just think it's like this crazy Egyptian. And then he's like, everybody out. And they're like, okay. And then no, you stay. All right. And then he just starts crying really loud. Like we know that's Joseph, but they don't know that. That's an awkward moment for them. They think this crazy guy is about to kill us. And then he says, it's me, Joseph. And then they think, oh, he's certainly going to kill us. <laughs> and, but we all see it's beautiful. And there's a, there's a beautiful passage. It's on the front of your bulletins. And, uh, and at, at the end of the story, he says, you, you meant this. For harm, but what you meant for harm, God used for good. And we we hear the story of Joseph, and that's what we come away with oftentimes. Is God can do things with our brokenness and our pain. He can use it for his redemptive power, and that is so true. But take a break from looking at that 
in a microwave culture. Because I think oftentimes we think God will use my pain and my trouble and our struggles and our family's frustrations next week. But then you have to take another run at the story. And pay attention to a couple. Just a couple of verses. I'm going to have to. Hey, Corbin, can you print, print this forward for me? This is the account of Jacob. This is the very beginning. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he had made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now if we skip forward to where the story gets like good for Joseph... Look at what it says in Genesis 41. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh and king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Now, I'm not an expert in math, but that's 13 years. 13 years, two of which at least he was in prison. Would probably say more. Because he probably didn't interpret those dreams for the cupbearer the first day. So if you split it up, maybe even say he was with Potiphar for four years. And then he was in prison for nine, which is absolutely possible. Even if you wanted to say seven and six and just split it up. Then he spent that whole time. Not knowing what tomorrow was. Like sometimes we picture the story of Joseph as Genesis chapter 37 and then 39 through 50. And it's 13 years before he ever gets a peek at hope. And when, when they say, well, you know, he was, uh, he was in charge in that prison. He was in that prison. He was in charge as a slave in Potiphar's house. He was a slave in Potiphar's house. That's a lot of Tuesdays as a slave. That's a lot of Thursdays in prison. Just normal days where you get up, do a ton of work, stay indoors, and then you're, you're trapped. Can't leave. I think sometimes we have to sit in the longevity of these stories just to kind of picture that our story isn't just this sweet little romantic comedy that peaks about 60 minutes in. That today I'm going to do what I need to do for today. Now, Jesus said something like this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. 
God did not send His Son to this earth to fix your petty problems. God did not send His Son to this earth to fix your serious problems. Because I'm looking around and most of you aren't in jail. None of you are in jail. I'm looking around and your, your life may be difficult. And it is, it is difficult. But God, God wasn't in a hurry with Joseph. Two years into the famine, his brother showed up. My math says he's 39 at that point. His brother sold him into slavery at 17. He saw him again 22 years later. 22 years later. And he had to work through how to deal with that. His last little statement in Genesis 50 to his brothers, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. I think sometimes we quote that scripture and cut it off right in the middle. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And then the assumption is for me. But he explains it. The good is to accomplish what is being done. The saving of many lives. God meant that for good for you. God used Joseph's brother's mistreatment of Joseph to actually save lives. This isn't, well, God wants us to have that house, so we're going to go ahead and take the mortgage out anyway and see what happens. This isn't, God wants me to have that truck, so I'm going to, you know, we're going to just trust. This isn't, God wants me to be healthy. God, God's never promised us health. God's promised us resurrection. God's promised us salvation. And so when we get really caught up in just this little bitty stuff, or maybe it's big stuff, maybe it's real. Every problem's real when you're staring, at, staring straight at it. You get caught up and you just can't see that it's, that it's uh, going to pass. But it might take a while. When I, um, people come to me for marriage counseling or premarital counseling or, well, not premarital counseling, they don't think they have any problems, but marriage counseling, um, or just counseling in general, one of the things I always tell them is don't evaluate this tomorrow. Like if you're, if you're struggling in your marriage today, there's a good chance that tomorrow you will be too. 
and that it's not going to pick up overnight, that it's going to be this slow, gradual thing, and you will only be able to see it in hindsight when you're older and wiser. You'll only be able to see it whenever you can say, wow, we stuck through that, and I don't remember when it got better, but it's better. You don't ever cross a finish line with trial. There's no celebration. There's no trophies. Just every once in a while, you'll look back and say, oh man, I remember when I was that. And I'm, now, I'm not as much that anymore. And I remember when I wanted to be this, and I'm closer. I'm not there, but I'm closer. Some of you, this is the first time you've really been involved in a church. We have a lot of, if, if you feel alone in that, there's a lot of you out there in this, in this crowd. First time you've ever like, really been like, I'm going to commit to a church. I'm going to get better. Yeah. Eventually. Probably not tomorrow. Life is this long Beautiful interaction with God as he slowly turns us into something. And the gospel is way more patient than we are. And it will be patient with you. And we as your church will be patient with you. But you probably are going to have to be patient with us, especially with me, whenever I tell you it won't get better tomorrow. But with God in your life, with Jesus uh, ruling your life, you will have, the situation may not get better, but you will have perspective. It is my belief, and the Bible does not tell us this specifically, but this is just my opinion, so humor me. It is my opinion that Joseph's Joseph's perspective changed before his situation did. Because if his perspective hadn't changed, he wouldn't have been able to handle when his situation did. Your, the way you view your problems as something, maybe that's something that just needs to get done right now. I want this done right now. I want this or that right now. Maybe you want it. But right now is a bad qualifier for desire. It's going to take time. And as we look at the story, the big story of the Bible, we're going to get, we're, we're going to get into chapter 4 this week. And at the, the top of chapter 4, I want you to write four centuries. Because that's how long it took to get from Genesis chapter 50 to Exodus chapter 1. That's a a lot of centuries. That's tons of time. And if the Israelite people can find redemption, and we'll find out, spoiler alert, next year, next week, they'll... uh, Walk out of Egypt. But if they can find redemption after all that time, 
maybe you're going to have to be a little more patient than hopefully this is solved by the end of the year. Because it might not be. But Jesus will be with you the whole way. God will be with you the whole way. The Spirit will be pushing you and convicting you and teaching you the whole time. Your situation might not get better as a Christian, but the company sure will. That dark valley will still have to be passed through. But we'll have a shepherd who goes with us. I think you need that Savior. I think you need that, that King. I, need, I think you need that leader. I think you need this God. The one who sees chaos and brokenness and problems and trials and can use them for good. I think, and I, our God has a lot of specialties, but I think in throughout the story of the scripture, you'll find that that's God's particular specialty is using brokenness for beauty. So you may be sitting there thinking, I don't have, no, I'm not. I'm not ready to commit. You won't be ready to follow Jesus until you start. Because we, be, we believe powerfully in the spirit of God and what God can do. So this morning, start. Start again. If you need prayers to keep going. If you need prayers to keep it up. To persevere. Maybe your perspectives need prayers. But we, we want to give you Jesus or give you church or give you community or give you prayer. But we need you to ask. And you will receive. Please come forward while we stand and sing.